Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. There's a lot of confusion. A lot of confusion um, out there in regards to the origins of our traditions and, frankly, whether or not we should be practicing some of them or even all of them. Uh, in the past few years, there has been a huge movement of something called Hebrew roots. Has anybody heard of that movement? Go ahead and put your hand up. Somebody say, Amen. I want a lot of chatter tonight, guys. Okay, I want to hear you guys talking to me. It makes me feel like I'm not alone here, right? Well, I've got Eva with me, right? We're here together, partner, right? But uh, we are, uh, I want to hear some chatter tonight. So you've heard of the Hebrew roots movement before, surely, right? Um, if you're a student of the word, you've likely encountered some folks that in different circles saying, well, maybe you shouldn't have a Christmas tree. You know, maybe we shouldn't celebrate Christmas at all because that's not really the day that Jesus was born on. Maybe we shouldn't this, maybe we shouldn't that, maybe we shouldn't, you know, Easter. Easter is, uh, uh, you know, a pagan word, uh, you know, so maybe we shouldn't even celebrate Easter. Maybe this and uh, uh, has anybody heard that? Anybody else? Is it just me? Uh, we're going to jump into this tonight. Uh, we're going to jump into this topic tonight, uh, specifically regarding, that's not in the Bible, Christmas edition, in regards to Christmas traditions and whether or not we should be celebrating certain things, okay? And to do so, we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So take a minute, take yourself a minute, and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to look in Acts chapter 15 briefly here in a little while, but scripturally, we're going to spend most of our time in that chapter. We're also going to look in Jeremiah chapter 10 as well. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and then Jeremiah chapter 10, that will be the bulk of our scripture study tonight. Are we there? You guys ready to do this? Yeah? All right, let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 through 33. Let's read with verse... 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Doesn't get much clearer than that. Flee from idolatry. Uh, verse 15. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation a participation, yes, in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Verse 17. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. Somebody say amen. For we all share the one loaf. Verse 18. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Verse 19. Do I mean then that food sacrifice to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? Verse 20. No. No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants 
with demons. Amen. Do you who here wants to be participants with demons? Certainly not. Certainly not Paul, who's speaking to his little ones here. Verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Verse 22. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Okay, so what are we talking about here? Let's get a little context here tonight. We have to understand, church, all right? Are you with me? We have to understand that in the wilderness, Israel Israel was worshiping Molech and other gods. They were. They were worshiping Molech and other gods, and they were doing secret, doing so secretly in some cases, according to Ezekiel. Even to the point of sacrificing children. Texts of Daniel and the Dead Sea Scrolls reveal this, okay? There were reasons that they died in the wilderness. There were reasons that some of them were left by God in the wilderness, okay? They began sacrificing and worshiping these false Molechian, Babylonian, false pagan gods as they were in the wilderness here. Let's make one thing very, very clear. God hates idolatry. Do you get that? Let's make one thing. If we don't cover anything else here, we've got to make this clear before we cover other things. Maybe that's a better way to say it. God hates idolatry. It's the first of the Noahide laws, the very first one. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. God hates idolatry. Don't make a graven image of something to bow down to and worship it. Don't do it. Don't serve it. Don't pray to it. Don't ask it for guidance. Do you get that? Man, there's one thing I can't stand in our Christianese culture is how people will say, well, you know, anytime that, you know, you get your priorities mixed up um, in your life, uh, suddenly that thing that is taking you away from your Bible study is an idol to you now. For example, I heard my whole life growing up, uh, you know, we grew up evangelical that, you know, the TV was an idol, the TV was an idol if I'm watching TV more than I'm reading my Bible. That just couldn't be further from the truth. Am I worshiping the TV? Do you know what an idol is biblically? What an, and I'm going to might be stepping on some toes here with this statement, but what an idol is biblically is a, a there is a, uh, a Nephilim, perhaps a fall, a, a, a creature that was half, half God, half, or half, excuse me, half angel, half human, or there was a fallen angel. Either one set themselves up to be worshiped in ancient times, all right? Uh, people would carve a wooden image of this being. D- different cultures would have different names for these beings, right? Uh, and perhaps even if they were made up completely, something that is being worshipped as a god in the place of the one true god. That is an idol. Okay? Throughout the Old Testament, you, you won't find any other description for what an idol is. Okay? It's not a metaphor. It's not a metaphor. Uh <laughs> Do not make a graven image of something. Do not bow down to it. Do not worship it. Do not serve it. Do not pray to it. Do not ask this inanimate object or this thing that represents a demon, truly, for guidance. Okay? Um, 
And there's a lot of that that happens in the world today, but we don't do anybody any favors trying to get them off of idol worship if we pretend idol worship is something that it's not, okay? So, um, with that said, uh, on the, in this regard, let me jump, jump out of uh, 1 Corinthians real quick to Acts chapter 15, verse 19. Paul uh, uh, dealt with this stuff a little bit, Peter and Paul and the council in Jerusalem. Let's read Acts chapter 15, verse 19. Can we read that quickly? Verse 19, it is my judgment, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Remember, this is the big context. Well, now, how do we deal with all these Judaizers? All these people are trying to make Gentiles into Jews before they accept the Jewish Messiah. And, and the apostles' decision was, look, let's not make it more difficult than it needs to be. Verse 20. Instead, verse 20, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food that's polluted by what? Idols from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Okay, you get that, guys? Do we see that? Did he say we should tell them to make sure they do the whole Ten Commandments? Did they say, no, let's make sure to tell them that they do the whole 613 uh, Mosaic, Levitical, civil laws, all of the Old Testament law. Let's make sure they do all of that. No, they did not. They said just this. Okay, the bare minimum here, all right? Tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled, uh, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Basically, because the strangling of animals was part of idol worship rituals. You understand. So that was a part, it's all about idol worship, guys. So here's the thing. Uh, we find here from the council, uh, uh, the first church was, the first church uh, fathers, they were all Jewish, by and large, they were all Jews. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, stay away from idolatry, all right? And then the council in Jerusalem tells us in Acts chapter 15, stay away from idolatry, right? Not at all. We, so we get that. We stay away from true idolatry, all right? Um, you know, uh, I'll, say, I'll say this, you know, uh, in regard, how do we in this day and age truly stay away from idolatry? Well, there's a number of different ways and we could jump into Catholicism and stuff like that, but I'm not going to for this moment. But, you know, if you're a person who loves to decorate around your house, you know, if you've got little Buddha statues or stuff like that, you know, that is truly a pagan idol, that is truly a, a something that was formed out of wood. There are different idols that people consider to be art that they keep in their homes or even certain paintings. You know, at one point, Amber and I, we had some old uh, Roman-looking uh, art that we had on our walls, and we didn't know where they came from. We just thought it looked cool. We picked it up at an art studio. Uh, and we come to find out one of the people in the the paintings that we had in our living room was the goddess Dionysus standing in front of a gate of a Roman temple. We had no clue, but the mo as soon as we found that out, guess what? That picture had to go. So we don't want to have anything to do with it just because God says, hey, have nothing to do with it. And we stay away from the very appearance of evil. Were we worshiping that, pa uh, that painting? No, but we stay away from idolatry, right? So let's keep reading. Let's jump back then. Let's jump back into verse 20, er, yeah, 23. Jump back into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, and let's read. Paul says, it is my judgment, let me give you the verse, there we go, okay. It is my judgment, uh, uh, oh, no, that was right, sorry, 
I have the right to do it. Are you laughing at me, Eva? All right. Verse 23. I have the right to do anything. The right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Do you understand where he's going with this? Do you understand the point of this, guys? Verse 24. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. This sounds a lot to me like Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Walk humbly, thinking of others. That should be our disposition. That's the point of our walk and, and what we're trying to angle for, right? We don't want to cause anybody else to stumble. But at the same time, you know... I, can, I have the right to do anything, but you know what? Not everything is necessarily beneficial. I have the right to do anything. He reiterates again, but not everything is constructive. Let's go to verse 25. What's he say? He says, verse 25, eat anything sold in the markets. Anything sold in the market without raising question of conscience. All right? Take special note of this. This is going to be important. Without raising questions of conscience, verse 26 for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You hear that? Verse 27. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat what is ever put before you without raising questions of conscience. So within uh, three verses there, we see that for the second time, questions of conscience. And that's what really a lot of this comes down to, you guys, is questions of conscience. He says, eat what is set before you. Ask no questions. You go into uh, uh, the, somebody's home, a stranger's home, they're feeding you, ask no question. If an unbeliever sets it in front of you, okay, especially if you are there witnessing to them and they put something in front of you, Eat it. Ask no questions, he says. Just eat it. Okay? Because why? Because conscience is the cure. Is the, uh, conscience is the key. Okay? Because conscience is, are you aware or unaware of it? If you're not aware of it, then it's fine. Don't make a big deal of it because ultimately you're free to eat whatever. Okay? The butcher may have dedicated it to Jupiter for all you know, right? You got to remember, guys, that a curse does not hurt you. you. When the Holy Spirit is within you, nobody can set a curse on you, speak a curse over you, have it stick, and you're now cursed, right? So for all I know, when I go through the drive through at, at Chick-fil-A or go through Jim and Nick's or wherever, how do I know that some cook in the back isn't saying, oh, Jupiter, I dedicate this uh, chicken drummy uh, basket to you, Jupiter. I would have no idea. And it wouldn't matter because curses have no effect on me whatsoever, right? So it doesn't if they're doing that in their kitchen, I, I don't care. I mean, what's the difference, right? It's the question of conscience. Now, where it get, becomes different is when you pull up to a place where, you know, they sell halal meats, right? And you know that it's a Muslim establishment and you know that in the back that meat you know This is the key. You know that that meat is now being uh, uh, blessed to uh, the, you know, the false god of the Shinar Plains, uh, Allah, right? Uh, You know that the Muslim meat is being blessed, so that's a no. I don't want to eat meat that I know has been blessed to a false pagan idol, okay? 
That's Paul is clearly telling us here. But if you have no idea, then what difference does it make? He strictly, plainly lie, lies it out here. Look, everything is sold in, eat anything sold in the market without raising questions of conscience, okay? For the earth is the Lord's and everything in the, in the earth is the Lord's. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal, it's an unbeliever, so you know they're pagan, right? And you want to go eat, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Now, let's jump into verse 28. But... But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. What does that mean? Well, he tells you, verse 29, I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. Because it's, guess what? It still doesn't matter to you. Okay, you can still eat whatever, but they know that they bless this to a false idol and now they're giving it to you. And if they see you eat it, knowing that you know that you're eating meat that was for their God, then they're going to infer meaning on your eating it. Do you understand that? So I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom... Because what happens in that? My freedom is then judged by another's conscience. If you find out, uh, don't eat, right? His conscience is the stumbling block. The other person's conscience is the stumbling block because you're free, okay? But be humble for the cause. Do you understand this, guys? And I promise this is all going to play into the Christmas uh, stuff here in just a second. We're really just setting up the stage here, okay? Because this is all relevant when it comes to idolatry. Is something idolatry? Is, is what we do, whether we're knowing or unknowing, is it idolatry? All this, it all plays together, okay? So hang with me. Are you with me? Are you with me, guys? All right, so don't be a stumbling block, all right? Jews, Greeks, or the church, don't be a stumbling block, okay? Uh, if it doesn't matter to you, that's fine. It might matter to the other person is the point. You get that, what Paul's saying? All right, verse 30 then, verse 30. If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something that I thank God for? It's now that this other person is judging me. So don't give them the opportunity to, to judge you. I'm not going to be judged by somebody else's conscience, right? Now I take part in this meal with thankfulness. Why am I denounced because of something that I thank God for? If the other person, if the other person... Uh, just because somebody else has some weird legalistic hang-up, okay? Uh, just because somebody, has, somebody else has some other weird legal hang-up, okay? They don't get to infer that on you as the point, okay? It's for the other person. It's for the other person. Just because somebody else has some weird legalistic hang-up, they don't get to infer that on you. But, but... You shouldn't rub it in their face and thus, thus cause them to stumble. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay. Especially if their faith, especially if they're a Christian, and, but their faith is, just happens to be in such a place of infancy. Okay? Verse 31. Let's finish this scripture out. So whether you eat or drink or whether you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. 
Verse 32, do not cause anyone to, anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Verse 33, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, so that they may be saved. And let's remind ourselves one more time of uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 19. Can we do that as well? It is my judgment, remember, he said, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So, with all of that being said, with all of that being said, we stay away from idolatry. Amen? Amen? Simple. We just stay away from idolatry. Now, Here's where um, I want to jump in a little bit into these misnomers uh, or these ideas that, you know, certain parts of the Christmas tradition are idolatry, right? Uh, it's established we stay away from idolatry. Now, on a side note, let me say this. Um, in regards, I've mentioned briefly a minute ago things like an idol, you know, carved things or paintings or pictures. I even mentioned a picture that was in our house at one time. Uh, you know, some people, I've, believe it or not, I've heard people say, well, especially in some uh, Orthodox Catholic circles, you know, is having a picture of Jesus. You know, is that a sin? Is that an image of a deity, right? Is that bad, you know? So, um, you know, if you have a picture of Jesus as a reminder of Jesus, what could be wrong with that, right? Are you having rituals where you're praying to this picture, you know? Uh, we're not, we don't pray to pictures of Jesus, do we? You, you don't pray to pictures of Jesus like the Catholics do to Mary. Some Catholics, they will pray to a picture of Mary. That is a form of idolatry. That is an inanimate object that you're praying to uh, as if it represents a deity, a form of an, an, another angelic or deity figure who is not Christ. And you're worshiping in that sense. So that it would be an idol, right? We don't do that with pictures of Jesus as Christians uh, or evangelical Christians, certainly, right? So remember, we're free, but we don't want to offend or be a stumbling block, but we also can't get hung up in other people's legalism ourselves. So let's jump on to Christmas then. Okay, you guys ready? Who wants to talk about the Christmas edition? We'll talk slowly into the microphone. Eva? The Christmas edition. You ready? Okay. So, most scholars <clears throat> agree. Most scholars agree that uh, Jesus was not born on December 25th. Okay. So, if you've got little ones in the room and I just burst the bubble, I'm so sorry. I probably should have given you a, given you a heads up on that one. But, you know, most scholars agree that Jesus was not born on December 25th. So, where does this come from? Well, early church fathers, they had different ways of calculating excuse me, uh, they calculated uh, the day to be either in spring at Passover time or in the fall at the time of tabernacles or in, yes, December, believe it or not. Surprising, huh? Maybe not. <laughs> but around the time of Hanukkah versus, uh, well, anyway, we'll get to that. Now, some people, some scholars have even said, could it be that he was born on um, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, which would be the date 9-11, back in 2, C, uh, 2 BC, um, potentially. I'm not going to jump into that tonight. Um, we talk a little bit about that when we teach on the Feast of Trumpets, but 
that's a, that's an outlier. Most people believe, most scholars believe it's got to be either fall tabernacles, sp- uh, spring Passover, or December Hanukkah. I've got a few ch- uh, quotes from the early church fathers for you guys here. First one is this from Hippolytus. This is his commentary on Daniel. Uh, as you see there, it was written about AD 210. So this is some early, early stuff here. Hippolytus said, for the first advent of our Lord in the flesh, when he was born in Bethlehem, eight days before the calends of January, is what he says. So he's putting it eight days before December 25th. So he's putting it on the 17th, perhaps, sounds like, huh? The fourth day of the week, Wednesday, while Augustus was in his 42nd year. Okay, that's Hippolytus. Clement of Alexandria, a little bit earlier, some 20 years earlier, said this, There are those who have determined uh, not only, little typo there, determined not only the year of our Lord's birth, but also the day. And they say that it took place in the 28th year of Augustus. That'd be 2 BC, which is uh, sounding in line with what we studied last Sunday. And in the 25th day of the Egyptian month, Pashan, which would be May 20th, if you do that math. Further, others say that he was born on the 24th or 25th of Farmuthi. In other words, April the 20th or 21st. And that's Clement of uh, Alexandria and his famous work, Stromata. I've got two more for you. Can I see that next graphic? Can I see that? There we go. We ought to celebrate, according to... Theophilus, uh, around 115 AD, we ought to celebrate the birthday of our Lord on what day soever? The 25th of December shall happen. Pay attention to that date, please. 115 AD, that's pretty early, guys. Brethren, observe the festival days and first of all the birthday, which you are to celebrate on the 25th of the ninth month. Interesting there. The 25th of the ninth. So that's September. That's Cyrus's birthday, actually. So you've got some differing opinions early on. Early on is my point. You've got differing opinions. But some saying December 25th as early as the second century, guys. Okay. So why the confusion, though? Why would there be some confusion right out of the gates. Let me just help you out with that. First of all, there were two different calendars. Uh, if you study uh, the Feast of the Lord, the, the religious festivals of the Lord, you understand that there's a, a civil calendar and a religious calendar. Uh, a calendar that was basically from creation, uh, and it started in the uh, springtime, and then come Exodus 12, Leviticus chapter 23, God gives us a new uh, order or the Jewish people, to begin a religious calendar. So there are two calendars that are going simultaneously. One is making the first day of the first month the first of the year. Another one is making the first day of the seventh month the first of the year. Okay, so uh, it became confusing, especially for Roman Gentile people who were not uh, Jewish early church fathers, all right? So that can explain some of that confusion. Basically, uh, if there's two calendars going, let me help you out with this. If he was born on the 15th of the first month, that would either be Nisan or it would be Tishri. So that would either be Passover or it would be Tabernacles. And that's where the two different camps come from was uh, in large part due to that confusion. But most, let me say this, 
most agreed that Jesus was born on the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall due in large part to a verse that we find in John chapter 1, verse 14, and it reads, and I'm going to read you the Young's literal translation here, and the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and did tabernacle, did tabernacle among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of an only, be, only begotten of a father, full of grace and truth. That is Jesus, full of grace and truth. And what did he do? He tabernacled with us. Now, I shared with you also the uh, Orthodox Jewish Bible actually translate this passage in this way, just beneath there. And the Devar Hashem took on uh, uh, corporeality and made his sukkah. Now, if you study the Feast of the Lord, you know what is a sukkah? It is a little tent that the Jewish people make to spend the night outside with their family on the Feast of Tabernacles. They tabernacle together outside in this sukkah tent. And he made his sukkah, his mishkan, his tabernacle among us. Yeshua 4, 7, 14. Amen? <clears throat> so, <laughs> there we have it. Now throw this into the mix. So a lot of people are thinking he was born on tabernacles, which is in the fall, in the Feast of Tabernacles. Now you throw this into the fall, or throw this into the mix, <clears throat> and it gets real fun. After Hanukkah, the Jewish festival of Hanukkah that we talked about last Wednesday night, if you're not familiar with it, uh, go back and watch last Wednesday night's video for me, if you would, okay? Uh, after Hanukkah became a national holiday, the people began to call it Second Tabernacles. Oh, let's uh, just add a little more confusion into the mix. Huh? Second Tabernacles uh, was referred to, uh, Hanukkah was referred to as. Thus, the Ethiopian canon, the Ethiopian canon, uh, believes that Jesus was born on Second Tabernacles, as in 2 BC. So in 2 BC, Hanukkah would have been in the neighborhood of December 25th. Are you guys trying to figure, are you, is it kind of coming together for you now on why we might, might have ended up historically on a date of December 25th? Okay, we're not done yet. Let's keep going, okay? Because some people have tried to teach that December 25th was originally a pagan holiday that was co-opted by the Catholic Church, so they refused to celebrate Christmas. And that's, I mentioned this earlier, this, a, a lot of this Hebraic roots uh, group people, they say, oh, that's a pagan date. What happened was is the Catholic Church went into all of Europe and they just said, oh, you have a holiday on that day? We're going to take it and rename it for Jesus. That's not... That's not as disingenuous as, at best. There's, there is not a true scholar of history that tells you that story. Okay, uh, some have tried to teach that though. That you know that's how where D December twenty fifth came from. It was co opted, so they refused to celebrate Christmas. Roman Roman historical records refute that completely. They refute that claim. Okay, pagan uh, the pagan worship of the sun which is what Romans did. They worshipped a guy by the name of Saul Invictus. He wasn't a guy. He wasn't even real, okay? Can I see his picture? Uh, Saul Invictus. Saul Invictus is a false god that was worshipped in Rome uh, around that time. And he was worshipped 
on the winter solstice, okay? And that's what a lot of people try to say, Saturnalia or the winter solstice. You know, they were worshiping that God. And so when the Catholic Church today just took over the date and instead of celebrating him, they started celebrating Jesus. Well, that's, again, like I said, that's inaccurate. Saul Invictus was worshipped, Saul Invictus was worshipped in August. He was worshipped in August in, and in September, either August or September, until uh, this guy, can I see this guy's picture? Emperor Aurelian, Emperor Aurelian uh, moved the celebration to December in 274 A.D., this is why I told you to pay attention to those dates, okay? Do you remember Do you remember how early the church was celebrating Christmas on December 21st, as, or 25th? As early as, what did we say? 110 A.D. Here, it wasn't until 274 A.D. that this guy, Aurelian, moved the worship of Saul Invictus to uh, December uh, onto the winter solstice. And possibly the 25th, some years, perhaps. But, you know, we saw church, didn't we? As we saw in our previous church father quotes, Christians were celebrating Christmas on the 25th of December about a century, a century before this occurred, a century before Aurelian moved that holiday. By that point, Christianity was already growing at an explosive rate. It is quite possibly, if not likely, that the pagans moved their date to fit or to compete with the churches. Because the whole kingdom was already anyway. Now, we don't know that, but it is more likely that that would be the reason, certainly more likely than to say, well, Christians just moved the celebration of Jesus to their date. No, no. If anything, it was the other way around. Now, was, so was Jesus born on December 25th? Guys, you know, probably not. We need to be honest about that, okay? Uh, but the one thing, there is one thing that would come from us not celebrating Christmas on December 25th, and it would be a victory for Satan. That's what it would be, a victory for Satan. As the corporate celebration, the corporate celebration of the holiday would stop bringing the gospel into department stores, okay? It would stop bringing the gospel into the minds of so many unbelievers that would otherwise never hear it, except for the fact that they hear it just about everywhere. You can't walk into a Target without hearing about Christmas, right? It makes you think, well, what are we celebrating here, huh? The birth of Jesus. Well, who's this Jesus, right? What good can come from us not celebrating the birth of Jesus on December 25th? I can think of a lot of bad that would come from it, okay? Now, uh, in regards to our that's not in the Bible piece, okay? So people will say, well, Christmas is not in the Bible. Well, look, the Jewish people didn't celebrate birthdays, period, all right? So the fact that we celebrate birthdays as Gentiles, that's a Gentile thing. You know, we should celebrate Jesus any day. So what difference does it make what day we decide to do it if we don't know for sure what day he was born, right? Um, so celebrate Christmas, celebrate the birth of Christ. And if we can all agree on a day to do it, let's do it, huh? Amen. Now, what about the Santa Claus stuff? A lot of other people will say, oh, Santa Claus. That's not in the Bible. That's not even, you can't, Christians shouldn't, you know, talk about Santa Claus or this and that. Well, let's just dig down a little bit onto what Santa, 
where does this Santa Claus stuff come from? Okay, well, Santa Claus uh, is Norse mythology. It finds its roots in Norse, Norse mythology. Uh, elves, we've all heard of the little elves, right? Okay. Uh, elves, <clears throat> they help you do things, right? At least that was the mythology. Uh, the elves would live around the North Pole. Okay, all of the, in Norse mythology, they're gods, you know, false gods. They lived at the North Pole. It was called Asgard up there. All right. Uh, and there was a buffer zone between the North Pole and where humans lived, which is Northern Europe at the time, right? So um, the elves were supposedly these little creatures that lived in that buffer zone between the North Pole and Europe, Northern Europe. They were supposed to be mediators between gods and men, okay? Because uh, Asgard is where Thor lived, Odin lived, right? Uh, on the, around the winter solstice, which is the darkest day of the year, okay? Odin would come around, Okay, he would come around uh, the solstice and he would come on a sleigh. Tell me if this sounds familiar. With an eight-legged horse. Can I see that picture? Let's see that. I've got some art for you guys here. Here's some old art on the one side of your screen and some recent art. Uh, the recent art is quite a bit more compelling, isn't it? <laughs> the black and white. But if you look at this old art, there's Odin coming on his horse with eight legs. Okay, so that's where we get the idea of Santa Claus coming with how many reindeer does he have? Who knows the answer to that? Eight reindeer, right? That's where the idea comes from, okay? Funny thing about this uh, Norse mythology is that an elf would come into your house. He would come into your house, and guess what the elf would say when he showed up to greet you? He'd say, ho, ho, ho. That's what the elf would say. Now, the... the the funny thing about this, and I don't know how funny it is, it's mildly funny. Uh, the, if you were to anger the elf, this little ho-ho-ho elf, I'm here, if you, if, let me say this, if he likes you, if you made him happy, he would like help you with the dishes, he'd help you with laundry, he'd help you around the house, but if you were to anger the elf, he might kill you. So, that's a big downside there on the elf situation. But that's the, really where we get the foundation of our, um, of our Santa Claus idea and elves and ho, ho, ho and all that. But what about, I thought St. Nick was a real guy though. Some of you might be thinking, well, can I see this next picture? And that's because he was a real guy. <clears throat> he was a bishop of Mira. Mira... Is, uh, was part of Greece, is Greek, modern-day Turkey, is a city there, Mira. Uh, he was sometime before 490 A.D. is where we find St. Nicholas there. He was known for bringing gifts to children, okay? And this reputation that he had developed then into a legend of how he would walk down the streets and throw coins down the chimneys of the houses he walked by. The coins would land in the children's stockings as those stockings were hanging by the fireplace at night off the mantle to dry. So the coins would go into the stockings. Can I see this next picture? There we see him, St. Nick. This is some old art of him there with one of his servants making toys for children. All right. He would later become known as the patron saint of children. 
and I've got one more picture for you guys as well. The, one of more of his uh, more famous stories about him was how there was a man in the community, and he uh, his wife had died, and he had two daughters, but he couldn't afford the dowry for his two daughters to marry. So, because he couldn't pay the dowry, they would uh, thusly not marry. And if they didn't marry back in that time, what that meant is they would have to find work. Um, you know, as prostitutes or whatever, but St. Nick was such a good guy. You see him climbing up the window there. Uh, he paid their dowries is the way that this, the legend goes, okay? Um, so uh, he is celebrated because he paid their dowries, and then after the wedding, he came back and they gave him some more money as a wedding gift and all that and so on and so forth and so it goes. Um, but, uh, he is celebrated on December 6th in the Netherlands because that's his birthday. He's a real guy. Uh, uh, so St. Nicholas named a patron saint of children by the Catholic church. Um, you know, real guy who lived around 490 AD. Sinterklaas, uh, the name Sinterklaas, you may have heard that. I've heard, seen different programs about on the History Channel and stuff like that. Sinterklaas is the Dutch translation of the name Saint Nicholas. So Sinterklaas is just simply that, uh, a translation of Saint Nicholas, who was the patron saint of children. And Netherlands, they celebrate him on December 6th and December 5th. They celebrate him in Belgium, in Luxembourg, and in northern France. Um, this other guy, Chris Kringle, can I see this next graphic? We've heard that name before, right? Chris Kringle. So we're kind of figuring out where all this stuff is coming from, aren't we, guys? Saint Nick uh, turns into Sinterklaas. Sinterklaas, we get to find, we come to Chris Kringle. The name Chris Kringle comes to us from the Pennsylvania German Christians. Uh, Christkindlin. Christ, look at this. Break the word down. Christ, kind, lane. That's German. Christkindlin. Okay? It means Christ child. That's all it means, guys. There's nothing nefarious to this, okay? But somehow, this became, traditionally, through tradition, over the years, became the name of Santa Claus. Santa Claus, guys, is thus a purely fictional character created primarily for fun, a conglomeration of history, a conglomeration of legend, and yes, I have to say, unfortunately, a conglomeration of some paganism as well. Uh, some of you guys have heard this legend of Krampus as well, right? Uh, that sounds really demonic, and uh, there's the horror movies about him that are demonic and horrible, and, well, it's because it's demonic and horrible. Can I see this next picture real quick? This is Krampus, all right? This is pure, a purely pagan injection into the story. He's a late addition to the story out of Central European folklore. By Central European, I mean Austria, Bavaria, Croatia, Czech Republic, Hungary, Northern Italy. He was a half demon, half goat. He would go around with uh, Chris Sinterklaas uh, 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 or uh, Chris Kringlin, uh, whatever name you want to call this figure of bring this figure that had developed into Santa Claus, bringing bringing uh, toys to good children. This was a demonic uh, half demon, half goat that Satan kept with him on a chain to punish the naughty children. So that uh, <laughs> that's 
that kind of, yeah, I'm getting, you should imagine the look Eva's giving me right now. Uh, so we talk about little kids getting coal in their stockings now if they're not good, right? It's, it used to be a lot more twisted and dark uh, back in the dark ages anyway. So uh, I tell you what, those Czech, those, uh, Czech Republic and uh, Croatian people, they, they got some imagination. So uh, even to this day at some uh, Christmas festivals over there, you'll find people dressing up as Krampus, all demonic and half goat, half demon. So anyway, all of this being said, guys, what is my advice, Pastor Chad's advice for Christmas? I say this, leave the paganism out of it. All right. Let, we don't need any Krampus in our Christmas. Amen. <laughs> Let's just period. Let's leave the, the paganism out of it completely. What was the date of Christ's birth? Nobody knows. Uh, you know, I lean towards uh, 2 BC, the year, but was it 9-11 on the Feast of Trumpets or was it uh, the Feast of Tabernacles? Probably. I, you know, I don't know. Who cares though? Do you get, do you hear me on this? I mean, seriously, guys, uh, it, Jesus during his life would never have celebrated a birthday because they didn't do that. They would actually, the Jewish people, go back to the grave sites of their uh, uh, relatives who have died and celebrate their dead relatives on the day they died because they celebrate the fact that they were born into eternity. Now that's cool. Now that is cool. So uh, am, I part am I participating in, in, in an ancient pagan ritual if I celebrate the Lord on that day? No. No, no, come on now. Some people only come to church on Christmas and Easter. Are you kidding me? Are we going to lose the opportunity to witness by not having a service on those days? Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. Somebody give me an amen. Come on. You know, should we be lying to our children about Santa Claus though? Okay, and this is another one. Um, you know, and I'll share a personal story on this one. Uh, our first child, Asher, he's 19 now. Uh, we told him, uh, you know, I believed in Santa Claus when I was a little kid until I was about seven or eight, I suppose. And I don't know, somewhere in there. And Amber did too. So we told Asher that there was a Santa Claus. And, you know, all through the years when he was growing up, he'd say, are you guys sure? Are you sure there's a Santa Claus? And we'd be like, oh yeah, bud. Well, the time finally came, and I think he was one of the last two or three kids in his class that believed in Santa Claus. And one day around Christmas, you know, he came home from school that evening and was saying, oh, I can't believe that they were saying they don't believe in Santa Claus. Where's these people's faith? Yada, 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 right? And Amber and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, oh, no. I mean, because he's an arguer. So he was really arguing and putting up a case for Santa Claus with his classmates. And we said, bud, we've got to tell you. And I'll never forget how he just looked at us and said, why did you lie to me? And Amber and I were just like, oh no, our hearts were broken. We're like, we don't know why we did that. Why did we do that? Right? So, you know, it reminds me of this Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, you know, uh, I remember when the cartoons were in the newspapers and the funnies and all that. There's a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, and the gist of it goes like this, you know. Um, uh, the, the main character comes to this realization, well, man, alive. He discovers that Santa's not real. And in doing so, he's like, wow, well, if they're lying to me about Santa, you know, I wonder about this God story too then, you know. 
telling me that there's this invisible figure that brings me gifts and everything else and loves me and if I'm good and all that, you know, so I'm being told from birth that this guy exists. I want if, you know, but now they want, so I, they told me the same thing about this God that they want me to believe in, right? So if we lie about bunnies and Santa, you know, why is a child not to think, well, I wonder if they're lying about that baby God in a manger too, right? So, uh, you know, Santa Claus, you know, uh, with our, the rest of our kids after that experience, we've just decided to leave paganism out of it. And we celebrate the birth of Christ, but Santa Claus, you know, we don't teach our kids Santa Claus, but you know, we don't, I'm not, no judgment on anybody that does. I'm just saying, let's, I think as Christians, we try, need to evidently try to leave any form or sniff of paganism out of our lives. Now, should we give gifts? Some people even won't give gifts on uh, Christmas. They say, oh yeah, no, that was part of a pagan ritual too, right? Are you kidding me? Why not? You know, we should be giving people, period. We should, you want to give somebody a gift, who, what does it matter what day of the year it is, right? Remember, the first uh, scripture we studied tonight uh, was all about, what was it all about? It was all about uh, conscience, right? So it's all about conscience. But what about the Christmas tree then? We're talking about gifts under the tree. What about the tree itself? Now, this is a big one because there are a lot of people that I know have been um, kind of sucked into legalism, or grew up legalistic, maybe were freed from that form of legalism, only to have this form of Hebraic roots legalism grab, latch a hold of them all over again. So you got to remember, if you're somebody who was raised in legalism, especially if you're somebody who was raised in legalism, it's always going to be out, out to get you, okay? Because it's out to get all of us. One thing that our our flesh understands as if you work, you get a paycheck. If you don't work, you don't get a paycheck, right? So grace, the concept of grace, that Christ did this for me, God came to me, you know, my relationship with God is not about me proving myself worthy to God anymore. He proved himself worthy to me because he loves me. That whole idea is foreign to our flesh, okay? So we are all, we are all, um, uh, so, you know, more prone to fall for some kind of legalism. But people who have grown up in legalistic churches, they're all the more because that's, you know, uh, that's the rearing they had, okay? So a lot of people get out of legalism only to have another form of legalism grab a firm hold of them. And sadly, I've seen that a lot. And this Christmas tree piece, honestly, has been at the center of a lot of those uh, scenarios. So what about the Christmas tree? Should you have a Christmas tree? Or is that an idol? Is it an ancient uh, symbol, that is an ancient thing that has come to us historically through paganism and we should get it out of our house? Okay, well, let's just get down to the nitty-gritty here. Uh, in the 7th century, 7th century, okay, that's like 600s AD. In Germany, Boniface, a Benedictine monk used the triangular shape of a fir tree to explain the Trinity to pagans while he was out sharing the gospel. That's the first, first moment a Christmas tree comes into the spectrum of Christendom. Okay? 600s A.D., he starts using, hey, look at this, uh, this, uh, this is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's explaining it to them. It's a triangle, okay? When Germany, 
when Germany became a Christian nation, the tradition, understandably so, grew and grew. Uh, eventually, they would suspend a, a fir tree, triangular, from the rafters. Okay, It wasn't on your floor in your living room like ours is upstairs right now, right now, is hung from the rafters, okay? Uh, in the 1400s then, let's jump forward another 700 years, in the 1400s, Germans started doing Christmas plays uh, featuring the, the tree of life, right? Very Christian th uh, thing, this tree of life. They would decorate it with fruit, uh, red apples, even. Some try to tie Tammuz into the red ornaments. There's just no, there's truly no uh, support, historically, document-wise, for that, that accusation. But in the 1400s, they would put apples, because they would put fruit on it. And then you would eat the fruit off of the evergreen tree, okay? Uh, there is a, a legend that says Martin Luther was actually the one who started the tradition of lighting it and putting candles on it. Though that can't be uh, proven, it is recorded that he was the one who did it. Martin Luther, father of the Reformation. So that's where a Christmas tree comes from. Now some try to say that a Christmas tree is an Asherah pole. Have you heard this one before? That it's an Asherah uh, tree or an Asherah Whole, the thought is that, you know, if pagans worshipped trees, uh, maybe Christmas trees are the same thing. And this is flatly, church, flatly false, okay? Uh, in the Mishnah, you'll see, in the Mishnah, in Avodah Zarah 3.7, it explains to us, ancient uh, Hebrew text, explains to us what Asherah trees were. There were three kinds of Asherah trees. Okay, a tree planted specifically for the worship of Asherah. You know, that's the, the uh, pagan goddess of uh, fertility. Okay, you have your Baal and then uh, Asterith or Asherah or Astarte. Same, just different names for the same false goddess. Uh, number two, a tree that grew wild but was pruned and kept pruned for Asherah. And then thirdly, a tree that grew wild that somebody would put an Asherah idol underneath. Can I see that next picture? It would look something like this. Does that look like what you have set up in your living room? Okay. Honest question. You can be honest with me if it does. Okay. None of these, church, none of these fit the definition of a Christmas tree. None of them. Planted specifically for the worship of Asherah. Growing wild, kept pruned for Asherah. Okay. Uh, and then grown so you can put that idol underneath it. Guys, come on. None of this fits the definition of a Christmas tree. Jeremiah chapter 10 is where um, uh, these people that do mean well. Okay. Don't mistake my tone here. They mean well. They want to serve the Lord and they don't want to be caught in idolatry in any way. And who does? Because guess what? We stay away from idolatry, right? What's the good rule of thumb? Stay away from idolatry. been saying it all night long. But... We don't need to go uh, looking for idolatry and inferring idolatry onto other things um, that just truly, uh, like uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you know, um, you know, 
infringe on my freedom? Your con- why is your conscience infringing on my freedom, right? So let's read Jeremiah chapter 10, verse uh, 2 through 4 together. This is what the Lord says. Don't learn the way of the nations. That's important. Put a pin in that. And don't be terrified by the signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified of them, for the practices of the people are worthless. Verse 3. Verse 3. For the practices of the people are worthless. They cut a tree. Here it is. This is where they get it. Christmas tree is bad because of this right here, they say. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel or his axe, depending on the translation we're looking at, right? Uh, verse 4, they, de- they decorate it or adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. Okay, that's where they get it. That's where people say, that sounds just like a Christmas tree. We go into the woods, we cut a tree down, and then we nail it into the floor. We don't really do that, but anyway, we set it up so it won't fall over, and then we put silver and gold on it. That's a Christmas tree. Hold up. Okay? Remember, what did we say? Asherah trees were living trees. They were not cut down. So it's, first of all, it's not an Asherah tree. Jacob was referring to the practice of going into a forest, cutting down a tree, carving it. Did you miss that part? Carving it and then plating it with silver and gold. You take all the sticks off it, all the beautiful greenery, cut it off, carve it, make a face on it, plate it with gold and silver. The ways of the nations, remember I said put a pin in that back in verse 2, do not learn the ways of the nation. The ways of the nation mentioned in verse 2 is a direct reference, guys, direct reference to Deuteronomy. I don't have the verse for you, so write it down. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 through 12, which describes occultist, idolatrous practices of Gentile Canaanite nations. Do you hear me? The ways of the nations occultist, idolatrous practices of Gentile Canaanite nations, taking the tree out, carving it down, carving a face, a mouth, ears, all of it, plating it in gold and turning it into an idol that would be worshipped, okay, sacrificed to, asked for guidance. Remember, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What is an idol? We'll go all the way back. Your Christmas tree is not an idol. Does anybody in here actually worship their Christmas tree? When is the last time anybody in this feed asked their Christmas tree for advice or help with rent? Right? The very next verse, okay? Look, Jeremiah is speaking of an idol, not a living tree, plain and simple. The very next verse completely dispels this misnomer. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 5. I mean, if you just read the next verse, guys, I mean, so t- there's so much. Seriously, context, it's a beautiful idea. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They can't speak. They must always be carried because they can't walk. 
Don't be afraid of them because they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. They can't do any harm because they can't even do any good. Guys, nobody carves mouths, hands, or feet onto a Christmas tree, do they? If you want to find a reason to not have a Christmas tree, please go get a different verse out of the, out of the scripture for it, okay? This ain't it. Nobody carves hands, feet, or mouths under a Christmas tree. In fact, calling it a Christ, get this, in fact, if you want to study the true pagan worship of uh, Shira, okay, and all of those false pagan Babylonian gods, simply referring to it as a Christ tree or Christ mass tree would be a desecration to an Asherah tree. Thus, it would no longer be an Asherah tree because you've desecrated it now by referring to it as a tree for Christ or representative of Christ in any way whatsoever. Not to mention cutting it down. You can't cut down an Asherah tree. Hmm. Does, does anybody in here? I'll wait. I'm going to wait for a comment. Does anybody in here actually worship their Christmas tree? Who's prayed to their Christmas tree this season? Anybody? Nobody? All right. All right. Now, something cool about evergreens, though, is that in the Testament of Levi, which was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, chapter 9 in that Testament of Levi, it mentions 12 specific species of evergreens that are used in temple rituals. So, you know... So we're not finding evidence not to, you know, utilize an evergreen tree, but we are finding evidence that, well, the Jews did, right? The evergreen was a symbol of eternal life. The evergreen was a symbol of eternal life. It was considered the tree of life to them. Guess what frankincense is? It's an evergreen. Myrrh, evergreen, hyssop, evergreen, palm, evergreen, the etrog. They're all just a few evergreens that are used in temple rituals. So to say that the pagans use evergreens, you know, as a symbol of eternal life, so now we can't, we can't, is to ignore the fact that the Jews used them as well, okay? And honestly used them first. So uh, that's where, that's, that's the history of the Christmas tree. That's where we come down on the Christmas tree, guys. It was used initially first in the 7th century uh, to, uh, to help explain the Trinity. And that's where the tradition of having a Christmas tree uh, comes from in the celebration of Christmas. Mistletoe, uh, you know, honestly, we don't know. Uh, it's in the mistletoe is evergreen, uh, but it is either Druid or Irish, that tradition of the mistletoe and kissing under the mistletoe. It's either Druid or Irish. It doesn't, we have no other sources uh, historically other than Druid and Irish. So I don't know how that becomes a part of Christian uh, tradition, but wreaths, that's another thing, right? Uh, some people might have say they have a problem with wreaths because of the circle and all that. But, you know, that's a longstanding European tradition as well. And it also wreaths, evergreen wreaths, that goes all the way back to the temple as well. So... Church, let me just, in closing tonight, say this. If you know that you are doing something pagan, how about this? Don't. Right? If you know that you're doing something pagan, then don't. If you don't know, then, uh, I mean, honestly, Paul said, don't ask. What does it matter? What does it matter? Because we are free in all things. So, in conclusion, guys, and we'll end here right on time.
right on time. We'll end here tonight. Be careful, okay? Uh, Paul made it very clear. God has made it very clear. Like I said, it is the first of the Ten Commandments, the first of the Noahide laws. Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Be careful not to do, have anything to do with real paganism. What do we want to have to do with, have anything to do with paganism? We don't. Stay away from it, guys. You know, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be playing with a Ouija board. You shouldn't be seeking out demonic things, all right? What do light and dark have in common, okay? Have nothing to do with real paganism. But at the same time, guys, be equally careful not to divide the body of Christ over a misunderstanding, okay? Um, Some people on these issues, you know, they're just weak in their faith or they've been manipulated or misguided by some bad teaching, okay? Uh, so what really matters is the, our heart on this year. Like it goes back to eating the food. If you're a guest in somebody's home, you know, eat the food. It's a, it's a matter of conscience is what this all comes down to, okay? So just be careful not to divide the body of Christ over certain misunderstandings. In any case, we don't want to be a stumbling block to a weak Christian, okay? So maybe we'll, I hope you guys have enjoyed this study tonight and hopefully it has opened your eyes to some... Uh, uh, misnomers and some bad teachings that have been out there and floating around for a long time. If anybody wants resources on this stuff, I can get them to you. Um, maybe we'll do another w- one of these on some future holidays at Halloween. That'd be a real short one. It's 99% pagan, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, Easter, Easter, guess what? It's 99% Christian uh, other than the name and the eggs, but uh, there's some stuff there. Maybe we'll do one of these around that time too. But in any case, I hope you guys were blessed by tonight and I hope that, uh, Hello, maybe there's been some liberty for some folks here uh, through uh, studying some of these things uh, out with the word and the, the truth of the history behind them. Uh, but let's, let's do this here. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here tonight uh, and the Lord is moving on your heart, maybe to dig into some of these things and find out some of this stuff for yourself, or maybe you have been uh, living with some guilt that you didn't quite understand because of some legalism that you're coming out of, let's just pray tonight that you'll be released from that, okay? It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. All right? He loves you. We should celebrate him every day. So why not on December 25th, right? Uh, an evergreen tree, perfect representation of, of uh, the tree of life, and, uh, eternal life even, or the Trinity, right? Let's just, enjoy, uh, let's just enjoy our culture and enjoy our history that is so tightly knit uh, to uh, Jesus. Truly, our nation itself was founded as a Judeo-Christian nation, and so much of our holidays and whatnot are tied into him. And let's celebrate the things that we have to uh, celebrate uh, and not always be looking to tear everything down. Amen? Amen? So with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here and you just want to lift up your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word. Just say this with me. I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word. Thank you for wisdom and truth, Lord Jesus. I pray you continue to lead me, Father, into a full understanding and knowledge of your word, Lord. Uh, uh, Just continue to give us discernment, Lord Jesus, and uh, bind uh, the lies of the enemy from our ears and from the ears of our heart, Lord. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour favor out on your lives. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. 
Okay, I've got 10 of you on here still. I, I wanted to mention one thing. Uh, we're still playing Sunday service by ear. You know, we had some COVID going through uh, our, our team. Uh, so uh, we're going to be checking in. We're just going to call it day by day as far as whether we're having service on Sunday and all the awesome plans that we've had for the upcoming week to uh, 10 days, you know, next couple uh, till Christmas. We're playing that by ear, so stay tuned in the family page and the email, and uh, we'll be, trust me, you won't miss it if you're looking for us on finding out what's going on. So, um, uh, and when we do get back together, if we do have ch a church on Sunday, let me say this, uh, you know, I, I know a number of you guys at the church don't wear the masks at church, and if you don't want to wear a mask, that's fine. You know that's my heart. But I also want to encourage this uh, for some of you. If you're somebody there who feels like, you know what, maybe I am a, a little immune-compromised, um, and I do want to wear a mask, please wear the mask. Let me do this. Let me ask you to wear the mask if you know that you are immune compromised, because there might be somebody else there that would like to wear the mask, but because maybe nobody else is, they're afraid to and don't want to be the only one. So just let me just do that and put that out there. If they're for the sake of the people who might be immune compromised that should wear a mask, uh, if that is you, for your, the benefit of your brothers and sisters, please do wear the mask, okay, uh, when we do get together, and hopefully that'll be this Sunday. In any case, we love you guys. Have a great week, uh, and we'll see you Sunday morning. All right, bye-bye.